please turn in your Bibles to the 54th chapter of Isaiah. Now we looked last week at Isaiah 52, where Isaiah told of the servant of the Lord who would come and who would be highly exalted, and yet who would suffer terribly in his humiliation, his form would be marred more than the sons of men. So should he sprinkle many nations. By such suffering, uh, many nations would be forgiven of their sins, people from many nations. Kings would be astounded. Kings would shut their mouths at this incredible action. Of course, that was a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be highly exalted. He would be God the Son, but who would suffer incredibly on the cross. And since he was dying for our sins, uh, that all who believed in him would be sprinkled with his blood, would be forgiven on the basis of his death, that he paid in full for their sins. In this 54th chapter, uh, Isaiah tells of the fruit that will come of that. And uh, so he addresses the church. And he calls on the church to rejoice based on the promise of an end to her barrenness. In verse 1, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. She's to act like a barren woman wouldn't act. She's to rejoice and shout and sing because there's going to be an end of her barrenness. Uh, Now, And this is addressed to Israel's future situation, her barrenness, when she is in captivity in Babylon. Isaiah lived 700, 750 B.C. He prophesied in that era. But in 606 B.C., and and then more and more, two more groups would go into captivity. In 586, the whole city of Jerusalem would be burned and the remnant taken captive to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. They would be there a total of 70 years from the time the first group went. And so she's barren in the sense of she's not any power for God. She's being punished for her sins. She's not bearing fruit. Uh, And uh, yet there's an end of this barrenness coming. And uh, notice the promise on which this call to rejoice is based in verse 1, the last part, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. In other words, uh, before you went into captivity, in a sense you were married, but then in a sense uh, he put you away because of your sin. But now, when you come out of captivity, you're going to have more children than you had before. You're going to, there's going to be more fruit, more spiritual children. And uh, <clears throat> so here's this great time of bearing children coming. Now, I've used the term church throughout, and uh, you say, well, isn't it addressed to Israel? Yes, the true Israel. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul uses this passage in the book of Galatians when he's writing in the New Testament to the church and the Christians in Galatia. And these were mostly Gentile Christians. 
And he says, uh, the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. If you're a Christian, the city you dwell in is Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem. She's our mother. The headquarters are in heaven. And uh, he says, and now, no, he says, uh, for it is written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud for you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. He applies this to the church and uh, says this prophecy is being fulfilled in the way you Gentiles are coming in to the church. Now, uh, so here's the prophecy of a time of tremendous fruitfulness coming to the church. Now, as it was fulfilled in a partial sense and in a literal sense when Jerusalem returned from captivity. In 536, you have the Medio Persian Empire conquering the Babylonian Empire, Cyrus. Uh, the Persian king sent them free to go back uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, the first group goes back, starts to rebuild the city. And uh, in a sense, that's a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. But the ultimate fulfillment of it, as John Stott says, the ultimate fulfillment of it is the true spiritual fulfillment, as Paul says, in the growth of the Christian church. Uh, since Christian people are the seed of Abraham. So it's a call to the church, to you and to me, to rejoice because of the fruitfulness that we'll have for God. Now, second, the counsel to the church to enlarge her facilities based on the promise of numerous seed. In uh, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtains, your tent curtains wide. wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. So here's this counsel to get ready for these converts who are coming. And this promise that it's based on. You will conquer the Gentiles. You'll go out and dispossess them, spiritually conquer them. They're going to come be a part of God's true church. Here we are today. 2,000 years later, fulfillment of this. Uh, Calvin says, the release from captivity in Babylon, return was the beginning, but the ultimate fulfillment was the coming of Christ, a numerous seed following his death and resurrection and the Gentiles coming in. Now, this is a famous passage of Scripture. 200 years ago, a uh, Baptist shoe repairman studied his Bible became a pastor, Nottingham, England. Over his shoe repair desk there, had a map of the world, would pray for the places where the gospel hadn't gone. Churches weren't sending missionaries back then. But William Carey, he read this. And he said to his... Uh, uh, Baptist Association there in Nottingham. You know, we ought to, we ought to be sending missionaries. Uh, God says that, uh, that there's going to be great fruit. And the fellow stood up and said, sit down, young man. When God gets ready to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. 
Terry wrote a book to answer him. It was entitled, A Serious Inquiry. That's the short title. The long title, A Serious Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. Sure, God will do it, but he uses means. He uses you and me. He uses the church, the spread of the gospel. And he preached a sermon to that ministerial association based on this verse we just read. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. You're going to burst forth on the right hand and on the right and left hand. Your seed will inherit the Gentiles. Get ready. And he said, look at what he says here. He says we're going to be fruitful. The church is going to bear fruit. That millions are going to come from every country. Now, if we believe that, we ought to attempt great things for God and expect great things of God. He said, what if we were to found a missionary society and uh, we would take applicants? I'll apply. I'll be the first missionary. And we let people support them. And that ministerial association said, we'll do it. And he was the first missionary. And he went out to India. He got there and his son died. And then his wife lost her mind. He labored on for like 15 years without seeing a convert. But he kept preaching the word. And he kept translating the Bible into different languages there. And others came out and began to join him. And people began to come to Christ. There was a practice in India at that time. If you died, then they burned your body, but they burned your wife with you. Your living wife. And he said, that's wrong. That's wrong. And he labored and he finally got that practice abolished. He translated the Bible into something like 30 some odd different languages. Forty people came out and joined him. Other people in London and elsewhere said, look at what happened when they formed that society. We ought to form a society. That was the beginning of missions as we know it today. William Carey. Based on this passage, expect great things of God. Attempt great things for God. He says it's going to happen, and it has happened. And so, here's a tremendous encouragement to the church. Now, the command to the church not to be afraid based on her relationship with God. In verse 4, do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Here's this command and this assurance. You don't need to be afraid of anything. Remember Wesley's great hymn, No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. I don't need to be afraid of anything. And uh, so here's, he says, because of the relationship between you and God, that's what this is based on, this command not to be afraid. In verse 5, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Notice the nature of the relationship the true believer has with God, your maker is your husband. What could be more secure? What do you need to be afraid of if the God of all the world, the universe, is your husband? 
Is he able to provide? Do you need to fear a lack of resources? Is he able to provide? Oh, goodness gracious. Is he able to protect? Is he able to bless? Is he able to heal? What do we need to be afraid of? Your maker is your husband. Goodness gracious. Uh, Your maker became a creature. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. By Him, the Word, were all things made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And He was made flesh and dwelt among us. And He came to seek a bride. From heaven, He came and sought her to be His holy bride. With His own blood, He bought her. And for her life, He died. And now, when you commit your life to Him... Like a bride commits her life to a husband, in surrender and trust, I will follow you and I give myself to you. When you commit your life to him, he is joined to you. When you get married, you become one flesh. When you join the Lord, you become one spirit. His Holy Spirit unites with your human spirit. And your maker is your husband. And he begins to produce fruit, the fruit of the spirit. He begins to change your maker is your husband. What an amazing statement. My beloved is mine and I am his. Does God love you? He certainly does. He came and gave himself for you and sought you out and wooed you. If you're a Christian, your maker is your husband. What do you need to be afraid of? Are you blessed? (laughs) My goodness. Uh, He traces the history of the relationship with them. In verse 6, he says, The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. Uh, He's speaking of Israel, and, and he blessed them. He called Abraham and... And uh, they were his people, and he was their God. But then he sets them aside, in a sense, here, as uh, they go into Babylon because of their sin. And uh, he, in a sense, hides his face from them. He, he abandons her because of her sin. But then he comes back. And, of course, those who were true believers, even when they're in captivity, had some true believers among those true believers. Although he hides his face, still he's with them. And they're his And then as a nation, he was going to bring them back. And so he says here, for a brief moment, verse 7, for a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The forsaking for a moment, you say, a moment? Seventy years is a moment? Yes, Compared to eternity. You remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, This light affliction, which is but for a moment. Paul's affliction was light and momentary. Yep. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Light compared to the glory that is going to be ours forever and ever and ever with our Maker.
in heaven. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for you and for us an eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are eternal. We look at those things. They go on forever. How do you look at the things that you can't see? With the eyes of faith. We believe that they are there. And as we focus on what we believe and bring it to bear on our situation, whatever we're going through seems light and momentary compared to that. Now, this relationship would never again be broken. In verse 9, to me, this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I've sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. That's, that's his commitment to you. Never again, he says. Uh, you say, well, wait a minute. What about the Christians who got fed to the lions? Uh, was that love being manifested? Didn't he forsake them when they got fed to the lions or burned at the stake? Ten terrible persecutions the first 300 years and Rome from Rome there after Christ? Well, ask the fellows who went to it. Read their bargains. Read how when they were being fed to the lions, they were praising God and singing. Women were doing that as well as men. He didn't forsake them. He is right there with them. You remember in Romans 8 where Paul says, uh, For thy sake we're counted as sheep to be slaughtered all the day long. And he says, We'll experience tribulation and nakedness and peril and sword, but in all these things we're more than conquerors. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God never said we wouldn't go through some painful things, but he said he would be with us and he would bring us through them and nothing could separate us. From his love. And those things are working for our good in the long run. Now, for a commitment here, your maker is your husband. And so, whatever we face, we have that great promise of his. Uh, why fear anything? Your maker is your husband. And don't let this lead to a carnal security where you say, okay, now I can live any way I want to. No, no, no. Let this lead to living for him who died for you, who made that commitment for you. Living for your maker who is your husband. Don't let it lead to a carnal security. That's very dangerous. Uh, he that says that he knows him and keeps not his commandments, the trend of your life in one of obedience, is a liar. The evidence we know him is we seek to obey him. In the power of the Spirit. Now, he compares the church to a glorious city. In verse 11, O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stories of Turk, with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and your walls of precious stones. He changes the image from a wife to a city. Your glorious city in which he dwells, the church is. And we're all part of that. And we're, we're part of the structure made up of precious stones here. That's what you are to him.
precious stone. And he's molding you. And uh, in the privilege of the inhabitants who in the city, in verse 13, all your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. And their teacher is the Lord. The protection from their enemies. In righteousness you will be established. You have as your foundation righteousness. The, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect record, credited to you when you place your faith in him and surrender your will to him as your master. Your sin credited to Jesus Christ, and he's paid for it. So you have a foundation. This city has a foundation of righteousness. And uh, he says, tyranny will be far from you. You have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. He controls everything. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fanned the coals into flame. You say, they're making a weapon over here. God, they're making a weapon. He says, I'm in control. I made the man who's making the weapon. I made the material he's making it out of. Don't be so upset. Uh, I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals in the flame and forges a weapon for its work. It is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. What does it mean to have our maker as a husband? No weapon that is formed against you will be successful in separating you from him, your maker. And he loves you and he's committed himself to you from now on and forever. What do you need to fear? No tongue that speaks against you will be affected. You'll be vindicated by him. What a commitment on his part. Suppose you got a letter in the mail from God. He said, Mary, Sam, Bill, Jean, I want you to know I love you with all of my heart. You're my bride. And I will never... Leave you, and I will never let anything touch you that will ultimately hurt you. Would that make you feel any better? If you got that letter? Well, you've got it right here. This is addressed to you if you believe in Jesus Christ. You say, but you don't understand, Frank. Uh, I'm having trouble at work, and I may lose my job. Your maker is your husband. But Frank, uh, my health, uh, I'm not in good health, and... I may, I don't know what's going to happen. I may wind up crippled. Your maker is your husband. He controls everything. He loves you. Nothing can touch you, but it comes through him and from him. Everything, everything that happens, apply that to it. We don't need you to be afraid. We can face life with our heads up and our shoulders back. My maker is my husband. He loves me. He's with me. Nothing can touch me without him meaning it for a blessing and making it a blessing. Live every day in the light of that. The Lord's Supper here, of course, that's the picture where right here he says, See how much I love you? Do you see how much I love you? I gave my son or I gave myself. 
and we give ourselves to Him, we say, Lord, I do see, and I thank You, and once again, I want to give myself to You, fresh and anew, and, and commit myself. As You've committed Yourself to be faithful to me, I commit myself to be faithful to You. As I partake of this, I purpose in my heart to do that. And I understand, Lord, your heart for others who you're not their husband. You are their maker, but you're not their husband. And if you want to be their husband, and it's up to us to take the word out. And as we do, you will bless because you've promised that they're going to come in. And so, Lord, like Kiri, we want to attempt great things and expect great things of you. And so we're going to take the gospel. That's why we have EE to train you to do that. Let me challenge you to come Thursday night and, and find out about it to the supper. Give a ring to the church and make a reservation and then come and get trained or bring someone as we start this Alpha program this coming Wednesday night. We have a luncheon today for those who signed up for the luncheon to introduce it, but then we'll start it in earnest this Wednesday night. Bring a friend to be exposed to the good news of Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm authorized, I'm authorized to extend to you the offer of the hand of your maker in marriage today. If you will accept his offer, your maker will become your husband. If you're not a Christian, I offer you his hand in marriage today. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, if you're a Christian, have you been looking at all the problems and not looking at your maker who's your husband? Just let that dwell in your heart and mind. How blessed you are that you're to be congratulated. And bring that to bear on all the problems you face. Think in terms of those who he wants to be married to, who are around you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, but you want that relationship with your maker, that he would be your husband, you'd be his bride. If you're willing to have a master, you're willing to seek to follow him, you believe his claim, pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I want to be your bride. I want you as my husband. I accept your offer and I give you myself. In surrender and trust. And I trust you to give me yourself. To come and dwell in me. Unite with me right now. Amen.